to get set up here. Hey, JJ, thank you so much. JJ, And we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and there it goes. All right. All right. Okay. I've got everything ready to go. Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Matt Fisk. For those of you that don't know me, me and my wife, uh, we serve in the campus ministry. Uh, we normally meet with the Tidewater region of the Hampton Roads Church. Uh, so we don't normally get to, to worship with you guys. It's actually my first time being able to be with the South Beach region. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It is awesome to be with you guys. Uh, I just love that the, our, our family just goes all over the Hampton Roads area. And uh, we just love you guys so much. Everybody in the Tidewater region wishes that they could be with you more often. But amen, we got to win the whole Hampton Roads area for Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, and you should because it's church. <laughs> Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Come on, you don't even have to do much flipping or scrolling. It's Genesis. Come on. As a church, uh, this year we're studying out the book of Genesis. And I misunderstood what was happening, so I went and listened to a lot of Phil Collins music. And it was weird. And then it was bad and had to read a lot of other things. My title of the lesson this morning is As It Should Be. As it should be. We, uh, there are only two chapters of the Bible that tell us about life before the creation fell to sin. And we are on chapter 2 of 2. So we're going to bask in that for a little bit. Next week we're going to introduce sin to the equation. But for now, today, we're going to enjoy God's creation as it should be. Amen. First things first, though, you know we live in a messed up world. You, you wake up for five seconds, you turn on the TV, you go on the internet anywhere, you just, get on, you just get on the highway, and you know that this world is messed up. And unless we have the, the basis of how God actually started this whole thing, this entire creation, we can assume Without, without that baseline, that this is how it's supposed to be. The messed upness. The jacked upness is supposed is how it's always been. The thing is, it's not even close to being true. Amen. That God intended things, and when it started off, it was perfect. And it was amazing. And it was incredible as everything you wanted and hoped and dreamed and wished. And that's what we are going to talk about today. As it should have been. Because I think the longer that we spend in a fallen world, the more and more detached we get from this, and the less we remember that it actually is possible to get back there. Yeah. We're going to do a bunch of reading this morning. Okay. We're going to start in Genesis 2, chapter 4. And before I get into this, uh, there is so much in this chapter that I will not be able to cover. Entire books have been written about single verses in this chapter. So I can't get into everything. So if you're sitting there going, well, what about this? What about this? Amen. This Friday, we have a teaching night called the Troas Teaching Night, where we are going to dive into many of the questions that you probably have. But I don't have time to do all of that in 30 minutes on a Sunday, and I really don't think you want me to. Amen? Yeah. Okay, cool. Got it. That's what I thought. So, But we are going to go ahead and read, starting Genesis chapter 2. 
Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Pause real quick. I thought we just did that. I thought we just had a whole chapter about how God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, we did. There are two versions of the creation account. How does that work and how does that work scientifically? Come on Friday. We're going to talk all about it. Here's what you need to know for right now. On a spiritual level, on a relationship with God level, the two accounts, and this goes all the way back to... Sorry, <clears throat> this goes all the way back to ancient scholars. They talk about the two different versions of the creation account. The first one being a cosmic view, showing God as the almighty creator. Amen. And that's good that God is God and he is the almighty and he creates everything from a heavenly view. That's chapter one, Genesis one. The second version is not God creating humankind. It is humankind created for God. It is bringing God down to a personal level where God in chapter 1 is mighty and all-powerful like an emperor. In chapter 2, he's presented like a father and a craftsman and a builder. That's right. Pay attention. Now y'all are listening in verse 5. Now no shrub, that was kind of awesome, <laughs> had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man. And that word formed is like a craftsman, like a potter, carefully, painstakingly creating a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from even, or Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gehon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. And it runs along the east side of the Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed, again that word crafting, out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what was his name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. That's interesting. The word that when it comes to made a woman is not the word formed like a craftsman. It's a builder. Like an architect, builder, mason kind of deal. A little bit more complicated than just, you know, crafting a pot. As all men and women know about women. So I'll let you process that one. And when he taken out a man, he brought uh, her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and, his uh, and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We're going to stop there for now. This is as it should have been. I have two points. The first one is as it should have been. As we look through here, this was God's creation, unfallen, uncontaminated, uh, undisgraced, no sin whatsoever, how God meant it to be. And there are four things that stand out to me that were central tenets to this paradise that God had made for people. Number one, there's no slides. There were no slides whatsoever. The first one is work. One of the things is work. That in the garden, in paradise, there was in fact work. God wanted work to be part of this amazing paradise. That's maybe like good for all of you that are worried about heaven being like you're chilling on a cloud for all eternity. No, there's work to be done. In verse 5. It says, God had, not set, um, God had not set rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. God designed this creation to be worked. And in verse 15, he said he put man in the garden to work it and take care of it. And in verse 19, he's got more work. He brings all the animals to man in order for him to name them. There is stuff to do. That part of this great paradise was this God-given, fulfilling work. Amen. It was never supposed to be empty, toiling work. There was never supposed to be this kind of like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? I'm making widgets for a living. What am I supposed Is this really what I was meant to do? Oh, it was supposed to be. You, God gave us work to do. And it was supposed to be tied with your purpose. And it was supposed to be fulfilling. You weren't designed to just hang out in a cloud in a garden for all time. But there was stuff to do. Second thing that was as it should be was nature. In verse 9, it says, The Lord made all kinds of trees grow. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In verse 19 and verse 20, Talks about all the animals just came and was cool with Adam. Nobody fought. Yeah. Adam was not afraid of the animals. He named them. I will call you bear. I will call you lion. I will call you wolf. And never once worried about them eating him. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Nature. Awesome. I don't know about you. I love nature now. But apparently it was better then. Yeah. 
Maybe it was something along the lines of the fact that, like, you didn't have to kill a pig to get bacon. There's, like, a bacon tree somewhere. I don't know. I'm hoping. I'm really hopeful there. But nature was not meant to be terrorizing or antagonistic. It was not meant to be poisonous or dangerous. It was designed to be man's natural habitat and food source. That's what it was supposed to be. Now, a third thing that stands out is marriage. Marriage was, suppo- it was part of the original plan. Amen. In verse 20, no, for Adam, there was no suitable helper found. because. And think about this. In all of this, all the creation account, God goes, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. It's good. The one thing that's not good... It is not good for man to be alone. Amen. That's right. That's really interesting to me. That the one thing that wasn't good was for man to be alone. We were created to be social creatures for relationships. And actually, godly marriage was intended from the beginning. And then God goes ahead and he literally brings all the animals and everything that God created. There is no suitable helper found for man. So he's going to make something else. He's going to construct it. He's going to construct woman to be a suitable helper. And the word helper is the word Azar, which there are many, many studies done all about that word Azar. It's actually a word used to describe God, to be the helper for the Israelites later on. But my help comes from the Lord. And it makes it possible for man to achieve the blessing that he would not have been able to do by himself. So think about that. Man, there was a blessing from God that man couldn't get alone. And part of that was God bringing marriage into the picture. And the garden paradise, it's the last thing that God creates. Paradise is now complete with the addition of woman. Amen. That's awesome. And all the married brothers say, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Marriage is supposed to be a covenant relationship shared by the man and woman. Monogamy is clearly intended. And again, books have been written all about this. If you want to come and talk to me later, we can talk all sorts of stuff. And the last thing that stands out to me, very much so in this, is as it should be, was the idea of security. Okay? Look at that last verse here, verse 25. It seems kind of like a, a throwaway verse. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, so for all of us, nobody goes running around naked in our society, but even more so, they didn't do that back in, the, in a Hebrew culture. Nakedness was correlated with shame and guilt and dishonor. And you could not have been uh, naked without being embarrassed. And you definitely couldn't be naked in front of another person without being embarrassed. This is insane. So that the idea for them is that they were so secure in their position before each other and before God that they could even be naked. The epitome of shame and feel no shame. Martin Luther said about this, this passage points out how much evil followed after the sin of Adam. Because right now it would be regarded as madness if anybody walked around naked. But back then, the way God intended it to be is to be able to be naked and no shame. That shame wasn't even introduced into this world. This 
is as it should have been. And the biggest thing, that the reason that all of this works together, the reason that all that was as it should have been, is because God was who He should have been. That God was obeyed and trusted. That God said, hey, don't eat this fruit. But you can, I've made this place for you. And he was trusted and he was walked with. He was just God. Can you imagine that world? Can you imagine that life? <laughs> Living like that? Well, you don't worry about work. Well, work is as it should be. We're shame. There is no shame. We can't even compute that. That doesn't even make any sense. And I, I'm talking about this, and it almost seems like, okay, Matt, that sounds like a great story. It's great in theory. I'd love some of that, but that doesn't exist anywhere. Because, by the way, it's a messed up world. You led with that. Busted. I think without this story and without putting this fu fully focused in our minds, we get cynical. We get really cynical about our life. You know, I, I, I just got, well, I didn't just get married. I got married a year ago. Uh, and it's been an awesome year. You know, I, I dated three times in the kingdom before I married my wife. And uh, thanks, Jeff. And uh, <laughs> things didn't go exactly as I planned. That was not exactly how I wanted it to be. I was like one and done. I just wanted to date one girl, get married. And, but amen, praise God that he, he made me wait that long. And I have the most amazing, beautiful woman in the entire world that I'm married to. However, in the middle of all that, I remember this one night where I, I was sitting in my nasty, dirty, single brother's apartment. And this was after breakup number three, which was by far was the most brutal. It was kind of like, it was very, very short, very, very embarrassing. For, it was like, we dated for three months and it was just, it, for me, it was soul crushing. I was like, what is wrong with me? And what's wrong with her? More, I, I remember thinking, God is tormenting me. I remember that this particular night I was sitting on my couch with a bowl of frozen chicken that I had just thrown into the microwave. And I was sitting on my couch, which if any of you had ever been to my, my place, I think Bryce might have been to that place. We had this couch that was so nasty, so dirty, we totally picked it up off the side of the road, that when you, when you got up from the couch, parts of it would stick to you and actually come away. The couch was molting. Like it was literally, and by the end of it, when we moved out, we just threw the couch away because all of the, the leather that was on it had come off from years of people sitting on it. And I'm like, that's, that's gross. And I'm sitting there on my nasty couch. And then I realized my apartment smelled. It smelled like dude. It was dark. It was hot. We had no AC. It's one of those old, like, you know, building, you know, built in the 30s. Definitely no AC. And, I'm, and, and all my roommates were gone. So there I am, sitting, dark, alone, frozen chicken, nasty couch, smelling my nasty apartment, smelling like dude and feet. And then, I just get angry. Self, self, like, what is this? 
Instead of thinking about, you know, maybe Matt, this isn't the end game. Maybe I should clean the house. (laughs) I started to get angry with God. I was like, God, where are the blessings that you said were coming? Where's the, you were going to take care of me. Where's the fullness of life I've heard so much about? You know, the longer you sit on the molting couch, the longer you think that that's about as good as it's going to get for you. And I think with some of those things, you know, with the things I was talking about, we can get cynical because we live in a fallen world. Have you gotten a little cynical maybe? Has dealing with your boss made you start to give up on work and fulfilling work? Has your financial situation got you doubting that things will ever be okay, that you'll ever feel secure? Maybe it's the state of your marriage. But the state of your marriage has turned you against the goodness of the whole institution of marriage. The longer we live in the world, the more cynical that we get. We just say, you know, that, that's how it is. That's the world that we live in. This is the best I can hope for. I'll always be dissatisfied in my marriage. I'm always going to be unhappy at work. I'm always going to feel insecure. You know, instead of looking for that God-given work, the thing that He designed you and you and only you could do, the thing that is actually tied to your purpose, we look for other things. Something that makes you just feel good or just brings home a paycheck. We look for something that gives us meaning. Hoping that something other than what God has ordained will give us that meaning. The problem isn't your job. The problem is that the world has fallen. And in the work that we do, maybe God isn't who he should be in your life. Maybe there's work we give ourselves to that isn't our God-given work. Now we can begin to doubt that marriage even works. You look at some of the marriage statistics, countries on earth, particularly in Europe, have already started to give up on marriage. Because year after year, decade after decade, family after family, marriage after marriage has failed. And so they say, you know what, man man and women weren't meant to live together in a monogamous relationship. It just, the whole thing doesn't work. The system's broken. And it's just the American puritanical values that are holding us back. Maybe marriage isn't the problem. Maybe sin is the problem. We live in a fallen world and God isn't who He's supposed to be in our marriages. In our relationships. (laughs) Maybe as far as security goes, maybe you haven't felt secure since you were a little kid at your parents' table. Maybe even then you didn't feel that way. Feeling no shame... You don't even remember what that's like anymore. And you're having a hard time understanding it even now. There are things that you've done. There are things that you're embarrassed about. Things that (laughs) you're afraid that that, that give you so much fear and shame. That it's all you can do to try to ignore it and hide it. Or maybe just grudgingly accept that nobody's perfect. And we all have secrets. And embrace the hypocrisy. It wasn't supposed to be this way. It was supposed to be that we felt no shame and we were naked. What is that? Complete vulnerability and yet no shame. That's how it was supposed to be. But the longer that we live in this world, 
the more our mindsets get warped and we say, no, 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 what I live every day in this fallen world, that's the normal. That's what it should be. When it's completely the opposite. Completely backwards. Completely upside down. And then our vision of God gets messed up. And we go, you know what? God put us here and God is not good. God is evil. God's a kid with a magnifying glass. God's an angry bachelor. God's whatever. Insert whatever it is. And it's like, then we have no hope. And that is spiritually deadly. Because when we have no spiritual hope, there's nothing for us to live for. Have you gotten a little cynical? Are there things that have kind of warped your mind about how things are supposed to be? And who God is and His character and what He meant for you. This is how it should have been. Not what we live in every day. Amen. My second point, which I still don't have slides, so it doesn't even matter. I worked really hard on these slides and everything. I'm, it's okay. My second point, and much more uplifting, I would say, is number two, as it will be again. As it will be again. All of this right here, the no shame, the perfection, the paradise, God-fulfilling work, all of that was messed up when sin was introduced. We'll cover that next week. Come back. It'll be fun. But it doesn't end here. Turn over to Revelation. I made it really easy for you guys. I gave you Genesis and Revelation. Come on. That's the, that's the last book and the first book. In case you needed help. Genesis 2 is how it started. And it's how it's going to end, too. Revelation chapter 21. Come on, Matt. We're going to read a little bit here. I just want to read this first thing right here. This is Jesus' promise that God is not out of touch with how messed up the world is. In verse 5 of chapter 21, Revelation 21. Jesus says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Stop right there for a second. Everything, everything is going to be made new at the end of time. That is the hope that this, what we experience here right now is not how it ends. This is not the final picture. Everything will be restored and made new. Go down to chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are, are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all this? This is how it will be again. Everything made new. 
God actually living among us. We don't even need the sun anymore because God is bright enough. You won't need a lamp or a flashlight or your phone and all the light. Anything. It's just God. Can you imagine that? Prayer times. No more wrestling. God, are you there? Are you? It's more like, hey, that's a prayer time. Hey, God, what's up? True, fulfilling, godly work. Check this out for just a second. It says in verse 5 and 22, they will reign forever and ever. When everything is restored, we will reign over something. New heaven, new earth. I'm not exactly sure how all that works. You can do some research. We're supposed to govern and judge angels. Not exactly sure. There will be work to do. God-given work and we will reign forever and ever. That's right. You were meant to be royalty. You know, everything restored here. Nature restored here. I don't know how a tree is for the healing of the nations, but it's going to happen. And the tree of life will be in the center of it. I love nature now, but somehow it's going to be better and restored. I don't know exactly the rest of nature, but I'm imagining myself riding an eagle like Lord of the Rings style over a mountain into the sky and then somehow land on the beach and it will be awesome. And there'll be a dragon somewhere. I don't know. It'll be awesome. There won't be marriage in the way that we think of marriage. Jesus explains that in Matthew 22. That there will be no given in marriage or received in marriage. But somehow relationships will be better and more intimate and fuller. And there will be no shame in that. Shame, sadness, and fear done away with. And how did all that happen? This is where I get to talk about Jesus for a second. Look at verse 3. It says, no longer will there be any curse. The curse enters in Genesis 3 with sin. And then when Jesus actually comes in Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14, you just write that down. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Preach it. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Preach it. And next week we will talk about the destructiveness of sin. But this week we get to appreciate that Jesus took the curse upon himself so that you wouldn't have to. So that the cursed life that we would be destined to live and doomed to live could actually all that be put on Jesus so that we can live a redeemed and restored life. And so this... This is supposed to be our hope. And that's the question I got, I'm asking you guys right now. Is that, is this your hope? I've spent a lot of time talking and kind of projecting this story and, and telling you what's going to happen. But it can be a little bit hard to grasp. I don't know about you. This is very hard to grasp for me. Because this is very far from the life that I live. I live a very messed up life. I do not live a life that is perfect without shame. I do not live a life where my work always feels fulfilled. I do not always feel like my marriage is perfect. My health is always an issue for me. I live right now in like a mold palace and I have a crazy mold allergy. I'm like, nature is great until it tries to kill you. Uh, 
But you got to ask, what's your hope in this morning? Myself, this past year has been really exposing for me. Because I've learned about myself that my hope in a restored relationship with God, being in heaven one day, is actually the furthest thing from my mind on a day-to-day basis. I will look to almost anything other than God in my natural fallen sinful state to give me hope. I discovered this year that I can put hope in a couch. How does that work? Well, in my head, once we get the couch paid off, then everything will be better. We got a bunch of new furniture. It's costing a lot of money and we should not have bought that couch. But once the couch got paid off, then everything will be better. Guess what happened? We paid the couch off. Didn't get better. <laughs> Couches are not Jesus. <laughs> now, then it switched to, okay, when I get the car paid off, then things will be better. You know, my health. <laughs> Maybe when I feel better, then things will get better. You know, for me personally, I'll look to anything like when my ministry, the campus ministry, when we're baptizing enough people and when we're growing enough, then things will be better. That's my hope. That will work out. When my wife is happy, then it will be better. You know, all those things happened. And guess what? Things didn't get better. Because my hope was not where it needed to be. You know, for every single one of us out here, there's something that we're putting our hope in. And the question is, is it this? Is it Jesus? Is it the restored relationship with God that one day everything will be as it should be when Jesus is as He's supposed to be? Yeah. Or is it something else? What is that for you? You know, the final challenge that I have for everybody here is to put your hope in the restored earth and not the current one. Amen. And that, that's going to take a lot of different forms for people here. You know, for some of us in here, you're studying the Bible. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you're thinking about getting serious about obeying the Word of God. About actually reading the Bible and doing what it says. And if you're visiting with us and you haven't started studying the Bible, we, we beg you, please, study the Bible. It will change everything. Amen. But... You will, and if you've been studying the Bible, you know this, you will absolutely be confronted with something that's very difficult to give up. You will absolutely be shown and have something in your life shown to you that you are putting your hope in that is not God. Yeah, studying the Bible is probably going to change some things. It's probably going to mean putting some things that are important to you on hold or completely cut them out of your life. It may mean that you don't put your career first and you miss out on that promotion again. But because your hope isn't in your work, it's in the work that God is giving you to do. It may mean that you don't date that guy or that girl or you break up with that guy or that girl. It could be that. Because your hope is not in a person, it's in God. That's right, Mom. It may mean completely abandoning your dreams. It could be that you've worked your entire life to become this one thing, whatever that might be. Whether it's to get this certain position at work, or to do this one thing, or to become a doctor, or a lawyer, or a priest, any of those things. You're like, I don't know. It could be 
that you have to abandon those things because that is not where God wants you to go. And that's scary. Thinking of giving up everything that I've rearranged my life around, whether it's a relationship, a dream, a job, whatever. And why would God call us to do that? Because the only hope that is any good is the hope that you have in God. Everything else will disappoint you. Jobs can be lost. Relationships can be ended. Dreams can be shattered. But God never changes. And God will never disappoint. You know, for some of us that are disciples, it may mean tearing down idols that have begun to creep in. Now, when you became a Christian, when you repented and were baptized, you said Jesus is Lord. But if anything else starts to become Lord for you, that's what your hope's in. Amen. And you, know, you probably don't go around saying like, oh yeah, you know, Jesus isn't my Lord. You know, it's definitely my job. You know, PS4 is definitely my God, my Lord. But we look at our lives, we look at the decisions that we make, we look at our priorities and the things that we go to to make us feel better when things are tough. That's your God. That is your Lord. And if that's what you go to, then Jesus is not Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah. You probably got to tear that thing down. Not probably, you got to. Because if you go to that, then you won't be able to put your hope in this. Come on, bro. Y'all with me still? I know I'm I'm calling some stuff out. And for some of us, you know what it means? It just means a more radical step of faith because you have this hope solidly and securely. You know, so many of, of us, even to start this region, sacrifice relationships, comfort zones just to do this. And that's amazing. Hopefully you're not regretting that decision. Amen. Come on, bro. Some of us in here, you guys are on the younger side. You guys even be thinking about going you know, around the world to go and preach the gospel. There are 1.7 billion people in the Indian subcontinent with 6,000 disciples there. There's a lot to do. Amen. We need people to go on one-year challenges, to go to Chennai, to go to Bangalore, to go to Hyderabad and go preach the word. But we also need people to do that here. We need people to do that in Virginia Beach and in Suffolk and in Portsmouth and in uh, Emporia and South Boston and Elizabethtown. We need all of that. Yeah. But when your hope is in God, you're like, who cares? I might have to give up a job. I'll give that up in a heartbeat. I'll give up my cushy, my, my really nice house and move someplace because people need Jesus. Amen. But all of that isn't because, you know, I just, I just kind of feel like it and I'm one of those religious nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's because your hope is in God. Yeah. That's right. As it should be. Not in the life that you're trying to create for yourself and say, this is how it should be. Yeah. My final charge for everybody here, place your hope in the restored earth and that making God as he should be. Nothing in your life will be as it should be until Jesus is as he should be. Let's put our hope in God. Let him be what he should be so that one day we can be restored like the rest of the earth and can live in it as it should be. Amen. Amen.